The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. This morning's scripture reading comes from Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 to 18. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts, and with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand, mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thanks, Jess. She did awesome with all those names. Some of you are like, if you ever ask me to read, don't ask me to do those passages. But she did awesome. You know, I don't know about you. Um, I enjoy from time to time, and um, I haven't watched it in a little while, but Jimmy Fallon and enjoy watching some of his shows. And I remember um, he's just so kind of easy and funny and light. And I remember him deciding to do this idea where... um, one of these famous New York baseball players was coming back. He just got traded. This guy named Robinson Cano. I don't know if you follow MLB baseball. And um, he just got traded uh, to the Mariners, and the Mariners were coming back to New York to play. And uh, he had this great idea to um, get Robinson, like a cutout of Robinson Cano, actually, and, and set it down in like a public area of New York and be out there with one of like, you know, a microphone and just say, hey, is there anything you want to say to Robinson? Like ask New Yorkers, what do you think about the trade? So they, all these people, you know, come up and have different things. I mean, they're like yelling at this cutout. Uh, they're, they're like, why'd you do this? Some people are more knowledgeable. Why'd you take the money? Why'd you leave us? Man, I mean, he was like one of these big time, big time players. And then all of a sudden, Jimmy had the great idea of having the cutout and Then after about a minute of these people saying all sorts of horrible things, have Robinson step out, the actual Robinson Cano, step out from behind the cutout and then see what people would do with that. And as you would imagine, it was quite stark. So they would be saying things, sometimes not appropriate to say this morning, and they would, he would step out from behind this cutout and there they are. And then just be like, Robinson, and they'd hug him. 
Or they'd say, we're so glad you're back. You're the best ever. We love you. And they're like, wait, you just said this about me. I know what you just said. He didn't say that. He just steps out with a smile and they just hug him and say hello. But it was, it was genius because it wasn't until Robinson stepped out that they saw him as a real person. Like he's not just a cutout. He's not just some like cartoon character that plays baseball on you know, the field. He's actually a real guy. And it's easy when you read a passage like this as we're concluding our series on Colossians. And this happens a lot in Paul's letters where he will finish in an epilogue and write a huge list of names. And it's easy to read those and kind of go, oh man, they're just kind of these characters. They're just in the Bible, you know. But they're real people. And, and, and some of them we know more about than others, but they're real people that they really interacted with that bring real story to the gospel. And when Paul writes of their name, and here's what's fascinating. The, the, the letter to the Colossians, Paul doesn't even know them. He doesn't know any of them. And so in Colossians, you see this list of names. And why does he hear, almost this is one of the second longest lists of names that he writes. Why so many? Why put so much in it? Because he wants to connect with them through these people. He doesn't want it to be some sort of cutout. He wants them to know there is deep relationship here. There's a partnership here. And sometimes we could look at this and it reads kind of like, you know, when we're looking at, you finish like a Netflix show, like the end credit scenes or or pre-credit scenes where you can like put, now you can say skip credits. Like most people do that in these. In fact, it's interesting. Most people don't even preach on this section. (laughs) They just skip or they take the last verse, maybe another verse. They just kind of push, "Mm, skip credits. But Paul puts this in here. It's in the letter for us to see. And we're going to take a look at it, that together as we finish um, this communication that Paul had through the letter of Colossians. We're going to take a look at what do these names mean for us in two ways. First, that they, they're the people of the church. Like we're going to actually look at a few of them. Some we know more than others, like I said, and we'll talk about it. who are the people of the church. They actually have stories. They actually have connection to Paul, relationships. Some of them kind of checkered relationships. And then what is the partnership of the gospel? That's a language that you see maybe through. What's the, what's the partnership that he has in the gospel with them? So the, the people of the church and the partnership in the gospel. Now, all of these people, like I said, have, have different stories and connections. And as we said, they're like real people. <laughs> uh, they aren't cartoon characters. They all have a moment in two. And, and in fact, this section is, could be broken up in a few different ways, um, it could be broken up in like, there are people who carry out the letters. There are people that are greeters. I mean, you could talk about this in a, a myriad of ways. At, at some point, we probably could sit down outside of this, and I'd encourage you to do it. Maybe this is a homework, take it with you assignment. Take this chapter and look up all these people in the rest of the Bible. There are, their names pop up in different ways throughout the scripture. And you can see what that means. But But really, looking at this, unlike just a Netflix post-credit scene, where it kind of comes across as, you know when you finish a good movie, and at the end, there's kind of, they kind of pan to each character, and they say, and they pause their face, and they say, so-and-so went on to be a great, you know, like they have that caption. That's almost like what this is. So it begins in verses 7 through 9, and it talks about Tychicus, 
and Onesimus, these two people that would carry out the letters, that there were letter carriers. See, this letter would actually be read just publicly. They didn't have uh, social media. They didn't have um, easy carrying. It was oral tradition. So a letter like this would be read out loud. They also didn't have a printing press. So they would read this to these churches. That's why even at the end it says, well, read it here and then take it here and read it here. And in fact, Tychicus wouldn't just carry this letter. He would be carrying two others. He'd be carrying the letter we just preached on through Philemon, as well as the, the letter of Ephesians. So this guy is like carrying three letters in his arms to take it to these people to hear about what's going on. That's a lot of responsibility. I mean, think about what he even says. Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and they may, may encourage your hearts. And he's even alluding to the fact that there's reliability here. If you sent somebody to tell, not just take a letter for you, but there are a lot of things you can't just message back and forth when they say, hey, how's Paul doing? He's like, well, hold on, I gotta go back. Like, he can't just travel. You can't just text him and say, let me get the answer for you. So he was carrying even the, the relational capital and life of what's going on. That Tychicus, in reliability, would say, this is how Paul is. He's really not doing great. Or this is what he's struggling with. Or this is what's been happening lately. That there's this relational capital. And even Onesimus, the name there, is of a runaway slave that we just read about in uh, Philemon. The entire letter of Philemon is directed to Onesimus' master and speaks to the fact, and what is profound here is not just Tychicus, this person carrying it, but Onesimus, who was once somebody who is second class, not even thought of as profound, is now called a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. This is Paul speaking into the relational capital of the church. That, the, that there is no more Jew or Greek, male or female, slave or free. In Christ, all is all. It breaks down those categories that, that this letter is being carried by someone who has a, has a difficult relationship with somebody else and would bring the even letter of Philemon back to his own master. Of what does it mean to be a part of the church? It means that, look, the church itself is made up of a lot of different people. It's made up of a lot of different names and in different stories. And it's not people you necessarily would choose. If we go through this list, this next huge section is of people who are just greeters, and half of them are people that are uh, Jewish, it says even there, the men of circumcision, fellow workers, and the other half are Greek. They're people that wouldn't have ever come together under this circumstance. Some of them you may recognize. He says Mark. Mark is, the, yes, Matthew, Mark, Luke is that author of the gospel. Luke is one of those others down below in the Greek. You have all of these names of people who are incredible. Aristarchus, we don't know anything else about him. Nothing. Other than the fact that it says, my fellow prisoner greets you. But the fact that this person, fellow prisoner, would be willing to submit himself in the life of Paul. 
to be in that relationship, to submit himself, to put himself even, maybe even in chains possibly, to be that much of, of, in a relationship with Paul and others and identified with them. Why? Why are all these names in here for this? <laughs> because it centers around a different, a, a common language, the gospel. It centers around that. And it's easy, I think, for us to look at what is the church really made up of? Is it people who have the same interests, live in the same area? It could be some of that. Oftentimes it's made up of that. But really, <clears throat> the church is made up of the ones who are called by God together. In fact, the word ecclesia, called, it means the called out ones. It means you're called out of wherever you are into a family that you actually probably wouldn't choose or think about or even care about. It may even have complete social, as we see with Onesimus and Tychicus and others like Aristarchus and Mark, completely different relationships. Mark, by the way, and this is something interesting, Mark's relationship, and as you see him, the cousin of Barnabas, it actually talks about that Mark here and in Acts, this is 12 years after he, Mark and Paul had a, such a severe disagreement, and you can read about it earlier in the book of Acts, such a severe disagreement because Mark kind of deserted Paul at a certain time. Paul said, I don't want him. Somehow in these 12 years, there's been reconciliation. That reconciliation takes place in the church. And even on further down, when it gets to Demas, this name that you're like, Demas, there's no other uh, mention except for one place where it talks about, well, Demas deserts Paul. What in the world? This is such a strange thing. And yet this is the life of the church. We just, we just put up a, a bunch of adults on down the children up here. And one of the things that I think is beautiful and I, I really celebrate about what has happened in our church is the intergenerational life of Christ Press Music Row. And also another thing that we celebrate is the diverse neighborhoods that are made up of our church. That there are people in this place that may have not met one another, but because of the relational capital, because of you being in relationship in certain places throughout the city and your connection within that, the church is your place. The ownership of those who are lined up, it, it, this church is not about me. Notice what Paul says here, it's not about him. These are co-laborers and co-workers in the church together with them. And that's why they're considered partners. In fact, the word worker in there is listed over and over and over. And it's a word that just, it doesn't mean like you just pick up something and kind of help out. It actually is one that, that brings such sweat to the brow, such pain and agony. It's, it almost refers back to what happened in Genesis chapter three when it talks about work in the garden by the sweat of your brow. It's that the work is being done within. It's so difficult and powerful, but that we're doing it together, that it's not owned by one single person. It's not all about Paul. It's all about all of them. And the greeting is bringing them together. As one theologian I love said, he said, the church is made up actually of natural enemies. And what binds us together is not common education, not common race, not common income levels, not common politics, not common nationality, not common accents, 
or common jobs or anything else of that sort. Christians come together because they have all been saved by Jesus Christ. They are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. If we really want to transform what it looks like to be a church, we have to care for those that we might not ever think that we would. We have to start interacting as, yes, those who once were enemies both of the Lord and one another and now are friends and even in relationship because the one who we were enemies against, uh, unreconciled to in Lord Jesus, now are close. Once strangers, now made friends and family. Uh, One of my dear friends um, years ago had a brain tumor. And um, it was very difficult. It was a difficult event. And it was difficult to see him go through it, have his head shaved, and walk through the excruciating pain with his family, three children, surgery, walking through all of those processes. And he told me a story about when he had, um, he was laying in bed and he was trying to text someone to let them know about his MRI and, and what was new. And he accidentally flipped a digit and sent his MRIs out to this unknown text. And so he picked up his phone. Having to be this person that just answered and said, what, who is this? <laughs> and it turned out, by God's sheer grace, this person said, I actually, it's amazing you sent this. I just actually went through something like this. Didn't know his name, just knew a number. And they began talking about this. And soon this person, this stranger on the other end of the phone, began praying for him. Even using language about his surgery and about the MRIs and the needs that he didn't even understand. And, and, and still to this day, I think they still text from time to time. And God brought together those people through this. This is what God does. Luke, the great physician, greets you, Demas, and then give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea, to Nympha, the, the woman who's opened her church in her house, and have this letter read among you, and have it also read to another city. And it even mentions another letter that we don't even have, the letter to from Laodicea that I'm sure carried all sorts of things. There's a partnership that is deep, that goes beyond anything that we understand. How do we become family? It's because the Lord has brought us in. Look, this table is this the greatest illustration of that. This table shows us that we're not a church with just a bunch of names. You don't allow yourself to come to a table like this And do so because your name may be here on a roll. This table actually isn't my table. I've mentioned this before. It's not Christ Presbyterian Music Row table. It's Jesus' table. And because of that, it means the access, the way to come to this table is not that you're just here and made it into the walls of the church, but that your name is with his. That you come forward. Think about the, the irony of this. You come forward... And you take of a meal with other people. That's what this is, a meal to celebrate a family that you didn't ask to be a part of, yet God brought you into and continues to love you through. The vows we just did before before you, 
And the prayer we read over those sweet, beautiful children is really the same prayer the Lord Jesus continues to pray over you now and always. And so the access to this table isn't because you think you've earned it, but it's because he has called you to himself. It doesn't mean you don't struggle. It doesn't mean you're not on this list like others. Hey, it doesn't mean you have to be Mark and Luke and wrote a gospel. And yet the beauty of Mark's life is that he had to be reconciled back to Paul. There's not perfection here. It's all on the sake of God giving his own son for us to be made daughters and sons. That's the beauty of this family. That's what it means to be a child of God. And to come and take of this and taste that you yourself are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. Because one day, when he does come again, there won't be this oddity. We will live together forever in an amazing family where reconciliation, not needed, it's done. Where strangeness, passing of the peace, will be more just celebration. Not, oh, hey, nice to meet you. It'll be like, wow, you're here too. We will celebrate this meal forever. It's a taste of glory, a taste of what we show as a picture to the rest of the city and the rest of this world that we're not just a list of names, but that the real Son of God took on flesh just like we have to show us, guess who really came out from behind that sign? that Jesus isn't some cardboard cutout, that to address your sin and bring you in as a family member meant that he, with all the nasty things sent to him and spoken of him, still took on flesh so that we might be made daughters and sons of God. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together.